Second Corinthians. <laughs> By the way, we drove in from Atlanta. Got here at three in the morning. So, so I'm not responsible for what happens. We, we, we call it a Jesus high, and we're like, man, hopefully we don't get pulled over. Last night, and um, so Second Corinthians chapter ten. I'm going to open this up, and then I'll talk to you about what we're going to talk about. Chapter ten, verses three through six says this: For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolishing of strongholds. We demolish arguments. And every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. We don't battle in physical terminologies, and so, and in physical ways. It's a, it, there is a spiritual world. And many of us fail to see it that it, it is a, as a spiritual world. So we love, love practical principles and practical advices from Scripture. And they exist. They're there. And they're awesome. And they're, and they're beautiful. But I think we, we sometimes you know, are afraid to think about the spiritual aspect of what we do and, 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 and our lives. And many times we, you know, we, we attribute the supernatural and the spiritual when it comes down to our salvation God saves us in eternity, and we have these theological grids, and we accept them, and then we pretty much leave the spiritual world there. And Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and saying, we do not wage war. There is a war. There is a war. We are waging a war, but it's not guns. It's the second part of that, Bible, God's word. There, there is a war, and, and so what happens is, which in this world, we get distracted by different topics, different conversations, news media outlets, social media um, outlets. We, we, we are forced to choose this side or that side, be on this line versus on that line, agree with me or you're evil, them versus us, you versus me. And, and it's, everything's like so geared in our world towards division, 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 division. Who knows what I'm talking about? Divide, 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 divide. And you think that after the political season is over, then the division stops. But it doesn't. You're still not talking to some people who voted for the other guy. The division in our country and in the world is far greater than we would even realize. And the pull to join a side is also so great. And it's easy for us to pick a side and then pick verses to back up our side. Right? Who's done that before? Who's doing it right now? Who, what did you tweet this morning? Did you put a verse behind it? And has anybody's verse convinced you to join the other side? Anybody? No? Huh. I guess you'll be like the exception to the rule. Because your verse is, well, it's from God. And it's accurate. So we have divisive topics, divisive issues, and they will always be there. And as a church, we don't dive into controversial conversations for the sake of controversial conversations. But as a church, as a body, we also provide a voice to some of these topics. 
And so we do that here through a series that we do called Hashtag. And Hashtag is a series that we do five, six weeks, and we just pick topics that are trending, pick, pick topics that people are talking about, and just try to bring some clarity to them without moving people in one side or another, but moving everyone towards Scripture. And, um, and so we're, we're, I'm kicking off this series this morning called um, Hashtag, and it's controversial conversations. So um, it's one of those things we don't know what we're going to get. And uh, there's a good chance that I may offend you. Oh, well. You've probably already offended me. You just don't know about it. <laughs> um, there's a good chance that you will disagree with what I may say and what others will speak on. And that's okay. That's okay. You can disagree. I would encourage you to read up on the topics that we talk about to ask questions of those who deliver those topics, to ask questions of our team, of our people. There are certain things that we will never disagree on, but then there are others that are controversial, so we can talk about them. Are you guys good with that? So don't be mad at me if you're like, ah. Because what I'm going to be like, ah, back at you. I'm just, you know, that's where we're at with it. Um, <laughs> But I would also encourage you because at the end of it all, and specifically after our AVL worship night, which is happening the last Saturday of next month, by the way. So I hope you guys are RSVP on Facebook or are planning to come and are sharing and inviting people because that following Sunday, we're not going to have service. We're all going to do it all on Saturday. So for, for those of you who are like Sabbath is Saturday, we're doing that too. So anyways... Um, but I would encourage you to ask questions about this topic or the topics that we'll be talking about in the weeks to come or even something that's unrelated. And if you're watching, you can do it in the comments. Just ask the questions. And, uh, and then if you're here and if you're on our texting um, family, you then text your questions to, you know, um, to that number, um, 97,000. Uh, and if you're not part of our texting system and you want to be where you get you know, scripture and announcements and links. This is how, our, how we communicate. It's the primary way that we communicate here at AVL. Uh, and for you to join, to be part of the conversation, just a text AVL family to 97,000. AVL family, text it to 97000. And then you'll be in on it. And then in that text, once you pick our church and get into our, our hub, you'll be able to text in your questions. And so... I won't be able to answer them right now live, but as a question comes up, write them, write them in or, te or text them, even if you disagree or if you just want to have a conversation. I just want to have this, and I want to say this, that, that, that we can have these discussions. We must have these, these discussions. And it's not that we're choosing to engage with our culture, but I think that our culture, by default, is just plowing through, our, through the church and through Scripture, and we don't have a choice but to address things that people are talking about. Because it impacts you, it impacts policies, it impacts uh, school board and education, and it, can always imp it, it does impact our life. So, you may be wondering, what in the world am I going to talk about today? I don't know, I'm just going to maybe talk about love, I think maybe that'd be good. John 3.16, we'll just read that and agree and sing another song. No, I'm actually going to talk about critical race theory, unless no one knows what that is. CRT, any, who knows what CRT is? Raise your hand. 
Who's heard about it? Keep your hand up. Who has an opinion on it? Who doesn't care at all? God bless all of y'all. You see how, we, how united we are? Okay. I've read up on CRT from the source of what they say from three books and a lot of YouTube videos. So it's not just from someone's perspective, and I watched and researched perspective. And also, um, I'm going to continue to be learning on these topics, this topic, and the topics that people are talking about because I think it's vital. Um, by no stretch of the imagination do I know all that is to know, not even close. There's a lot. I would highly encourage you guys to read up, to be familiar. Don't let that derail your spiritual walk, but know enough where you can carry a conversation about the things that people are talking about so that you're not ignorant. Please don't be ignorant. And if you are, just don't tell them that you're from here. <laughs> um, and like I said, you may disagree with some things, so it's, it's okay, right? We're good? We're good. All right. Thank you, Jesus. That was the most difficult thing. All right. So I'm going to read a few things, and I'm going to read, 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 and then we're going to really get to the stuff that for me is the, really the, the, the thing, and I want to bring it all back to Scripture, and because Scripture is, is our guide, and that's our post. So to understand critical theory, um, we need to understand that it has two primary claims. And so I'm just going to read through some stuff, all right? Ready? So everyone, these are the two claims of critical theory, that everyone can be divided into two groups, those who have power and those who don't. That's critical theory. And then the other um, primary claim is that those who have power always oppress those who don't. But how do we know who the oppressed and who the oppressor are? And you'll hear languages, the oppressed and the oppressor. And so how do we distinguish between the two? So according to critical theory, the categories of oppressor and oppressed are based on your group identity. Things like race, gender, religion, immigration status, income, sexual orientation, gender identity determines whether we are oppressed or one of the oppressors. Of course, someone might be a part of an oppressed group in one way, but also be the oppressor in another. That's where the concept of inner, uh, intersectionality comes in. Intersectionality seeks to measure someone's level of oppression based on how these, gr these group identifies intersects in someone's life. For example, a black man is less oppressed than a black woman who is less oppressed than a black lesbian. The more categories of oppression someone identifies with and the more moral authority, the more moral, moral authority they will have. As a result, experience and perspective of that person is valued more than anything else. And that is the measuring rod, even for truth. In the same way, the more oppressed someone is, the less moral responsibility they have for their actions. So because I'm oppressed, whatever I do, it doesn't matter because I'm oppressed. And those who aren't part of the oppressed group, straight white men primarily, gain moral authority by surrendering to those who have it. So far so good? Are y'all uncomfortable yet? This is called, this whole thing is called being woke, realizing that you are oppressed or the oppressor and what you are doing about it 
to help offset this dynamic. And some people claim that since Jesus cares about oppression, critical theory and intersectionality should be embraced by Christians. So this is where it becomes controversial because you have Christians who embrace critical theory or crit and critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, uh, and, and that, that, like that liberation movement. And then you have Christians who oppose it. And both sides do offer biblical and try to find verses and scripture to support um, their basis. And this is why it's important for us to read up on and to, real, and to see where do we fall in um, and, or, or, or how our thinking is on this, on the, on this issue. Um, but the key central point is, is regardless of where you fall on this issue, we have to fall into scripture. Like this is the most important thing I can tell you about any of the controversial conversations. If the Bible is not your guide, you are being misguided. Amen. Tweet that, y'all. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was pretty good. See? Oh. No pride at all. Okay. Um, according to Richard uh, Delgado, and in his book, Critical Race Theory, which I've read, the critical race theory movement is a collection of a, um, active, uh, active, activists and scholars interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. It not only tries to understand our social situation, but to actually change it. It sets out not only to Ascertain how, uh, ascertain how society organizes itself along racial lines and hierarchies, but to transform it for the better. And then they have their version of what better is. And by the way, that's in the book. I just quoted it, page two and three. Arising, and this arises from the Marxist, and that goes into a whole materialistic worldview, and so CRT assumes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and the system of the American society. And this assumption means that the individual racist need not to exist in order for institutional racism to be pervasive in the dominant culture. And this proposition, combined with the Marxist view that all relationships are best understood in terms of power dynamic, causes CRT to assert that existing power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpet uh, perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. Now we're talking about racism. Now, racism, even in CRT, is redefined or has been added where it's no longer individual racism, and that is part of the CRT movement, is that it, it's a group-link thinking. And group-link thinking basically means, it, basically what it means is that you as an individual, it doesn't matter if you're a racist or not, but because you, you um, are part of the white race or whichever race, whatever, in this situation it's the white race, you are by your association a racist. So what would be the most proper thing for me to do if I was a woke pastor would be to say, I'm a racist. 
and for you to say, if you're white, me too. I know. I know. And if you feel uncomfortable with that, it's because you don't even know that you're a racist. And if you try to justify that, that means that you're oblivious to your racism. They have set the parameters and the conversation to where the starting premise is that you, by default, party, part of the group, are a racist. And that's where the conversation starts. And if you don't align with that starting point, then you are the problem. And you are the oppressor. Now, like I said, this is my reading. This is not like me just taking someone's stuff and regurgitating because it sounds good. No, this is when I'm reading it, I'm like, what in the world? Drawing conclusions based on my reading. So when you read it, you may be drawing other conclusions, and that's fine. And you and I can talk, and we can figure out, like, wow, you know, this or that. So, you know. So CRT assumes that people of color are inherently oppressed and marginalized by power structures that are rooted in white privilege and white supremacy. Furthermore, CRT does not merely make that observation, it is defini uh, definitionally committed to transforming the perceived oppressions that it identifies. So it's not having that conversation on whether that is true or not. Its goal is to begin to transform it, assuming that that is the case. So critical race theory believes racism is present in every aspect of life, every relationship, every interaction, and therefore it has advocates looking for it everywhere. So when you see through racist glasses, you're going to see and point out and find racism for any situation. And you may think like, oh, I can think of a way that racism wouldn't apply. You are wrong. There is a way where you could see racism in all of your interactions. Re CRT replies upon interest convergence, meaning white people only give black people opportunities and freedoms when it is also in their own best interest. So even if a white person does something good for a black person, it has nothing to do because they're not racist, it just means that they're trying to take advantage of the person because it benefits them. And therefore, it doesn't trust any attempt to make racism better. You cannot do anything to make racism better, based on CRT. You, you, there's just no way, because you are racist, and, and no matter how good you do, no matter what you do, it, you have an agenda. Because you are the oppressor. CRT is against free societies and wants to dismantle them and replace them with something that the advocates actually control. So it's kind of weird because you have the oppressor and the oppressed, and they want to reverse it, which does the same thing. CRT only treats race issues as social constructed groups, so there is no individuals in CRT. So even when you say, I never hated a black person, it doesn't matter because you're white and you're part of the group, so you're a racist. CRT also rejects all potential alternatives like colorblindness as forms of racism, making itself the only allowable 
conversation piece. So colorblindness basically is what civil rights people were fighting about as well. And that is basically to say, hey, I'm going to treat you based on your content and your character and your ability and not your skin color. That's colorblindness. It doesn't mean that you don't see color. It just means that you treat everyone equal and with respect and dignity. And that, that's not good enough. So the Civil War or, and, and the Civil, you know, the 60s and the 70s where there was a lot of uh, civil unrest and, and civil rebellion, you know, for justice, it's not good enough because they are also not understanding racism because they think that they could just have people to be less racist by accepting and leveling the playing field, uh, you know, by treating each other with dignity and unity. And so for them, that's not good enough. You have to really go way back and, and really just under, not even just change things, you have to destroy what currently exists completely and rebuild it and replace it with something completely different. And that is why you see, you and I see so much division, so much this, so much that. That's why you see riots. That's why you see destruction on a level that we have not seen in, in America and even all over the world. Because this is not just an American issue. This is all over the world where people are teaching this stuff and, and, and like, like basically saying you are divided, period. Let's start with that. So as I'm reading this, there's three core things that really come to mind. And this is like your starting preference. And so, and this is where the difference is for me. All right, this is the difference for me. So I'm like, let me say this again. There may be some people here, maybe some leaders who disagree, all right, with, with what I'm saying. That's okay. Okay? This is, where, where, this, is where, this is what my understanding is of what I've read up on and my knowledge of Scripture and God. There are differences which I cannot align myself with. And so the first one is that there's a difference in the value as humans. There's a different starting point. So CRT claims that our identity as human beings is rooted in things like race and gender. And so you find differences in people. The Bible grounds our identity as human beings in the value that every human has, and that is that we are created in God's image. So it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter how you look like, your body attributes. Some people are short, some people are less great. Um, but the starting point is that the value of humans is not because you, you don't have more or less value based on your attributes you have equal value because you were created by God and he's the one that places value on you. So no group, no government, no pastor, no religious book can place value on you unless you let him. So when all is said and done, you receive your value from your creator. He's the only one who has the right to. But Satan comes and tries to undermine that and feed you lies and tell you that you're valued based on race our gender, and your accomplishments. And then we believe those, and we submit to that, and then our life is like we don't have value. And we get attacked with that. Who's ever been attacked with your value? Of course, Corey is the greatest example. She's always attacked on her value. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but we all, we, we, all get, we, 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 all, we all get attacked because Satan wants to steal away what is already ours, and that is that God loves us, and we, we have value in him. Like, if he takes that away from you, then the rest of this begins to come undone. Um, 
The second difference is the core issue. The core issue with CRT is it is race is the issue. That is, you have to start that that is the biggest problem. That is it, race. The Bible says something else. The Bible says that sin is actually the core issue. And racism is a symptom of sin. That's a huge, huge difference. The third thing is that there's, if you, if you identify the wrong issue, then your solution is also going to be wrong by default. So you're going to try to solve the racist issue. If, you're, if you grab a hold of that as your worldview, or if you look at the biblical worldview, you're going to look at it through the sin issue and address the core issue, which is the sin issue. Either racism is the core issue or sin. So if you want to eradicate and solve the problem, you have to get rid of racism, and then you have a worldview of how you do that. And there's a, li- a lot of different variations that CRT and, uh, and the theorists propose that they do, and I'm not going to get into all of that. There's, just, there's a lot because there's not a solidifying. Um, and then the sin issue, we all have ver- versions of how we need to deal with the sin issue, except God also has a way of dealing with the sin issue. So the solution to the sin problem is eliminate racism and reverse oppressor and and, and oppressed. The solution with the sin issue that that is actually sin at the core of it is the solution is Jesus. Like, I know it's simple and it's like, but Jesus is God and he allowed you and me to kill him so that his blood can be shed so that we can find forgiveness and not vengeance. That's a huge, huge difference. So CRT, like, it's about activism. But if you go to the real issue, sin, it's a matter of repentance. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Verse 16, he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him, the whole building being put together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Amen. 
Why that is so vital is because of this. When we're in this world, the world offers us all of these options how to deal with everything. They, they, they identify problems, identify the solutions, and try to recruit us. And we fall prey to joining a side or this side. And, and it doesn't mean that CRT doesn't have any valid stuff. They have a lot of valid concerns, a lot of valid things that they're talking about. So, and it's going to be true in every system. But know that these systems come and go. These solutions come and go. But the solution that continues to remain is God's solution. Because his word will forever stand. And every time people derail their attention to political systems and systems of this world, they end up in a place of loss until they come back to Scripture where they find completion and fullness. I'm telling you, like in every situation you have, when you get back to your Creator's instructions and his desire for your heart it aligns with what god originally wanted you to be and to have like he brings you out of this division into the unity with his son so now jesus is not sitting here like hey join crt or hey join christianity in america he's like no i'm bringing everyone to myself i am the standard i am the centerpiece you have to move to come under me I'm not moving to where you are. But if we don't read the Bible, if we don't know what the Bible says, then we align ourselves with what sounds the most right. And I'm telling you, if you listen to any side, they will convince you they are right. They will. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Sometimes we think that those who oppose us know that they're wrong, but they're just being, you know, mean. No, no, they're just as convinced what they identify as the problem or the solution, just as you are. This is why it cannot be what do you think, what do you think? Is this coming from a black person, from a white person? Are you oppressed? Are you the oppressor? Are you a minority? Who's it coming from? What's your story? It doesn't matter. The truth is still going to be the standard no matter who is speaking it or who is not speaking it. And so we get our, our truth from God's word and God's spirit in us. And then we can help because there's a lot of connecting points. Like who's against justice? Wow, nobody. Amazing. Everyone wants to see justice. You know Why? Because God is just, and he's given it part of his character in humanity to seek justice, to want reconciliation. It's part of his heart all along. Who wants to eradicate racism? Unless you're a racist. If you're part of CRT, then what I just said makes no sense because there are no racist individuals. So we look at this social justice as a way to even solve some of these social issues. And so then it's a state issue. It's a group issue. And it's not an individual issue. It's not a heart issue. And this is where Christianity just continues to plow this 
truth to say the problem is sin and sin is in each person's heart and it just manifests itself differently. But I have come to eliminate that problem. So Jesus died. Now you can have forgiveness and I've given you a way to live out God's heart on earth. Um, And there's so many, so many, so many things that I can get into. But I do want to kind of like begin to wrap this thing up a little bit because, because there is unity and, it's, and there's a biblical unity and there's also unity that's like an illusion where it seems like it's unifying but then you realize there's an agenda. And what the world has to offer, no matter what time frame you're looking at it, is going to fail you and it's not going to bring the result that you want. And so what best place to look for solutions than to the God who knows the real problem. And that's, what the, that's why we encourage, when we disciple people here, and we, and we talk about this on, uh, you know, on Sundays, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible, you won't even know how to make wise decisions. You will not know the heart of God. All you have is a feeling and in the moment, conviction based on whose story and whose side you're listening to. You want to know the ways and the will and the heart of God? Read how God worked. Read how God worked. And as you begin to read, to see what God did in other people, you're building a relationship with Him, and God's going to begin to do a work in you. And He's going to do amazing things in you. You're going to begin to know more and more the heart of God. So there is a unifying factor. The unifying factor is actually found in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to read this, and we're going to do this. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's table is the unifying factor for all humanity. We have tables here and we're going to take communion because this is not just a sacrament where we're like, oh, let's do this. The table is a conversation of Allowing you and me to be ourselves. And Jesus is inviting us into that conversation with him. Into sharing that intimacy with him. And when you become intimate with Jesus, when you begin to know his heart, things are going to shift. Things are going to change. And so we're going to take communion right now. And we have a table here and a table here. So if you're on one side or on the other side, just, just if you guys can all just rise right now. And we're going to do this uh, beautifully. Um, go to the wall. And then just walk down to the wall and then find your seat. And we have two, two sides where you can grab. And there's also communion in the back, so you can feel free to take communion in the back. And as you guys are are taking the elements. I'm going to read two passages. First one is in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and it says, Therefore I, 
the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. We're unified. We're not like the world. So let's try to stop aligning ourselves with the systems of the world. Jesus has invited us to his table, to his kingdom. And it's a journey where we discover what that looks like, what true freedom in him really looks like. Under Christ, there is none of these divisions. We're all humanity with the same core issue, with the same core solution. And the same God who loves us uniquely. And some of us need to come to God and repent. Maybe you are. You look down at Democrats or Republicans or Chinese or Russians. Or maybe you have elements of of, of things in you that you are really uncomfortable with and maybe God is exposing that I'm not here to deny that racism exists of course it exists but God has a solution and he wants to change your heart this is what brings us to the table what he has done to allow the answer to be, ma- to be, to be made manifested in our life And then he says, man, I died for you, I resurrected for you, and I never want you to forget what is the unifying factor. All humanity going to Jesus, and Jesus is, he's the access and the door to the Father. So I'm shocked that in churches, there are even hints of any racism at all. And I know they exist, but I also know that there's a lot of, people in churches who don't know who Jesus is either. So what we're going to do is a little bit different than what we normally do. I'm just going to pray for the blood and for the body that represent, that's represented in these elements. And then you just take him at will whenever you're ready. We're just going to give a few minutes. If you need to confess, if you need to repent, if you even want maybe you know somebody from our ministry team to just pray with you we're gonna have like just in the back where we have a communion I'm gonna have um, a couple people in the back just in case you just wanna maybe offload some things maybe confess some sin maybe just get reassurance um, God has to deal with us he has to deal with our pride with our arrogance with whatever sin that is a stronghold in our life. So you have this opportunity. So I'm just going to bless this and we'll give you guys a couple of minutes so that you can just take it as you're ready to receive it. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for coming and bringing true unity to your creation. 
we honor you and we are thankful that you allowed us to beat your body and spill your blood. But in that, we find the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with you and with one another. God, this is so important that we do this as we remember your work on the cross. And we are thankful. We are thankful. So at will, you can receive the bread and drink the juice that represents his body and his blood.